0: An Oracle Concerning Moab. Because Ar of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. Because Ker of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. He has gone up to the temple and to Dabon, to the high places to weep, over Nebo and over Medeba. Moab wails. On every head is baldness, every beard is shorn. In the streets, they, were where they wear sackcloth. On the housetops and in the squares, everyone wails and melts in tears. Hezbon and Eliale cry out. Their voice is heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore the are men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles. My heart cries out for Moab. Her fugitives flee to Zoar, to Eglath, Shiliashiah, for the ascent of Luhith. They go up weeping. On the road to Horanaim, they raise a cry of destruction. The waters of Nimrim are a desolation, The grass is withered. The vegetation fails. The greenery is no more. Therefore, the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up they carry away over the brook of the willows. For a cry has gone around the land of Moab. Her wailing reaches to Egliam. Her wailing reaches to Bir Elim. For the waters of Daban are full of blood for I will bring upon Daban even more, a lion for those of Moab who escape, for the remnant of the land. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land, from Salah by way of the desert, to the mount of the daughter of Zion. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice. Make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcasts. Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land, Then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, would you please join with me in prayer? we have confessed that You are the uncreated one. You are the King of kings forevermore. Uh, We are creatures. We are anything but the King of kings. We are weak and inadequate, and yet You would speak to us, and You would show Your kindness to us, and You would love us. These are things we do not understand. We pray, Father, now um, that as we consider this passage that is probably unfamiliar to many of us as we consider this entire section of Isaiah, that You would help us to hear what You want us to hear, that You would make us wise, that You would make us more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as a kid, um, one of my favorite movies to watch, and maybe this is true for some of you, was Wizard of Oz. I loved how it would come on, and every year this was an excuse that our whole family could stay up late and watch it on TV. Um, it was like, almost like a holiday for us. But I always found myself, even though I enjoyed the movie, feeling a little disappointed at one part. Um, So if, uh, and I apologize, spoiler alert, but I think most of you probably know the story. Um, You know, like the whole time, they're off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz, they're excited about it, and they get to the wizard, and the wizard is wonderful. Like there's fire, there's smoke, there's this loud noise, there's this mission they go on, and they're terrified, but they also think, hey, this is the one who's going to be able to get us the solution to all of our problems, so they go, and they come back, having succeeded And Toto pulls back the curtain, and you realize this awesome Wizard of Oz, you know, is suddenly saying, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And you realize it's just a guy, right? It's just this kind of like bumbling little person who has all these special effects that behind the curtain, there's nothing really that impressive. So as I've thought about it, I actually think that that's not a bad metaphor for a lot of what affects you and me day in, day out, the things that influence us. There are a lot of things that surround us that have smoke and fire and loud voices, but but what happens when you pull the curtain back? So just a, a few examples of some of these things that seem so big. I remember the first time when I was in Chicago, I think I was probably a college student, and I remember just being kind of almost awestruck, walking by these tall, skyscrapers that just kind of went up and up, and they were everywhere, and I was just surrounded by all these people bustling as if they have something very important to do, and expensively tailored business wear. and there's just this sense that something as powerful is going on right here. And we feel that, right? There's something about the economy that when people speak of the economy, it's almost like in hushed tones, like there's something very important we're speaking of. You know, like the economy feels big, it projects power. Another example, very different, perhaps, have you, have you noticed how sometimes when you're reading articles that are, you know, describing some important thing, there's certain code words that make you feel like this has got to be true. So like, recent scientific studies have shown, like suddenly, okay, that's, or, or, you know, like experts in the field declare that sleep is good for you or something like that. Like if they say certain things, you just feel that's weighty. I remember first noticing this, especially when I was reading an article, um, actually, of, of biblical scholars who claim that, you know, looking at archaeological data, they've shown that certain parts of the New Testament aren't true. And the thing is, when I was reading it, I knew the data that they were talking about, and I realized just how inadequate their summary was, and there was so much more information they were leaving out. But when it was experts saying, I felt suddenly like there's, there's weight to this, right? There's like these There's smoke, there's a loud voice here going on. Or maybe this is yet another uh, different field and one that I'm less familiar with, but, but think about Instagram feeds. Think about how they project the good life, right? Like the, um, the beach shots with just the right filter, um, the, the, the cozy cappuccino, ha- you know, like with a hand and it's like cappuccino art, the, the beautiful vegan salad. The, the, the picture of kids frolicking in the leaves while dad is just happily raking. I mean, there's something about this life. I mean, even more so when you get, like, the, the Instagram influencers. I don't think I even realized until recently that there are people who kind of professionally, all they do is just influence through Instagram. And, and like, the way they project with their their awesome vacations, and their beautiful houses, and their fit bodies, and their beautiful clothing. There's something about this that makes you feel like this is life, and we start worrying that this is our life, and it doesn't feel like that, and there's something impressive there. But, but really, when we pause to look When we look beyond the, the skyscrapers, and the expert studies, and the beautiful, cu- beautifully curated Instagram feeds, when we let Toto pull the curtain back, what do we see but just other normal, flawed human beings? Now I bring this up partly because well largely because this is where I think the passage takes us, but also because I think it's important for us to be able to see see through the hype, to see things rightly, because until we do, we will not be able to live wisely and we will not be able to love well. So so Isaiah, the passage that we are looking at and actually the larger section is, is meant to deal with exactly this issue of be, having our heads turned or people's heads turned by things that look outwardly impressive. Now, on the day of, of Isaiah, when he's speaking to his people Judah, the, the southern two tribes of uh, Israel, um, you don't have skyscrapers, right? You don't have Instagram. The, the, the thing that was impressive outwardly were other nations, so so Babylon and Assyria, they were like, you have this vision of these massive armies with their shining metal. They are unconquerable. They're, they're like the New England patriots of armies. You hate them, but you can't beat them. That's the problem. They, they were so strong. Sorry, I'm a Patriots fan, so that's why some people are groaning at that moment. Um, or Egypt. Egypt was another nation, and it, should, it was the, the apex of wisdom you had, the magicians and the wise people and knowledge. If you wanted to know something, you went to Egypt. Or Tyre and Sidon, if there were an Instagram sponsor of the day, it would have been Tyre and Sidon. They were the merchants. They had all the wealth, all the glory. The nations around Israel seemed so big, so impressive, so strong, and correspondingly God… Seemed comparatively small. And so to address this this failure to see, this lack of wisdom we have, what is sometimes described as the oracles against the nations. If you've ever tried reading through the book of Isaiah, this oftentimes is people start kind of getting slowed down because for about 11 chapters, 13 through 23, there is just a list of one nation after another nation after another nation, and it's very similar to the one that we just read. It is a fairly grim picture overall of terrible things happening. And and what What we need to understand is what's going on here is God is pulling back the curtain and exposing each nation for what they are through declarations of judgment. Because that's actually what judgment is. We think of judgment as something that's harsh. What judgment is, is actually, it's exposing what is real and what is true. It is allowing what, what was true to come to light and the lies to dissipate. It, it's about bringing justice where there is not. And God is saying there will be a day for each of these nations where they will be exposed. And all of the hype and all of the skyscrapers and all that impresses you will be shown to be much less than you thought it was. You will see just normal people. So, so, if we were to back up to chapter 13, we would see God speaking of how the Medes, the Persians, are going to come and destroy Babylon, and they once who were so great and mighty are going to be brought low like Sodom and Gomorrah, we're told. Or if we were to move a few chapters forward to Egypt, we'd see God saying, those people who are so wise, they will not be able to anticipate, and their foolishness will be exposed as they experience judgment. Or Tyre and Sidon, this wealth will come to nothing, we are told. Again and again, there's this exposing of what looked so great in the eyes of, of the people of Israel and realizing that is not actually what is the case. And that's, that's what we have here in the chapter that was just read about, about Moab. Moab were like next door neighbors of God's people, um, they were probably one of the most well known nations to God's people. And and probably even some of the cities would have been visited. At times, they might have even dallied with the idea of maybe we should just kind of join together to make ourselves stronger. And so you have these great cities of of Ar and Kir that seem impenetrable fortresses. You have this impressive kind of religious display. And what happens, God says, in in just a moment, and it's probably he's talking here about when Assyria comes and, and attacks Moab, in just a moment, these impenetrable forces, in just a night, they are completely overwhelmed. When, when the leaders go to their temple and pray to their God, there is nothing that happens. And as these cities are overwhelmed, what happens? The people flee, families with nothing besides just the clothing on their backs. They, they flee southward, and the, the army just keeps on coming, and there's weeping as they see their cities being destroyed, and they keep coming down, and there's no food, and so the land gets destroyed because people are just finding food wherever they can until they get to the southern border. It is a hopeless, terrible picture that we see here. And the point of of this story of these refugees who are being overwhelmed is is no way to celebrate at their demise. Perhaps you even notice that there is grief that is expressed. Verse 5 says, my heart cries out for Moab. This is not a, a taunting. This is an exposing. This is God saying, Israel. My people, you are seeing these nations all wrong. They are not what they purport to be. In a moment through my judgment, you will see compared to the Lord of armies, they are nothing. They are just people, and that will be exposed. You know, in the New Testament, God continues to to call us to see through facades, to see the things as they really are. So, Jesus reminds us that You know, the treasures that we might want to store at moth and rust destroy. Thieves break in and steal. Paul speaks of the former way of life that we once had that we thought was the good life does nothing but bring about shame and fruitlessness. Paul elsewhere speaks about how the cross exposes what we thought was wisdom to be actually foolish. Again and again, what we are being told is if we look through, if we see beyond, we will recognize things for what they are. So, I think God actually, in, in different ways in his, his, his work in Providence, is actually helping us to see there's different moments that kind of breaks through the exterior. Here, here are some examples. So I read this in the Atlantic magazine. It was not that long ago. Um, it began, the article begins, Over the past 12 months, three scholars wrote 20 fake papers. These are academic papers using fashionable jargon to argue for ridiculous conclusions, and they tried to get them placed in high-profile journals. You understand, this is all completely made up, it is bizarre stuff, and they're trying to get to the top academic journals and see if they can be uh, admitted. And the success rate, we read, was remarkable. By the time they took their experiment public, seven of their articles out of 20 had been accepted for publication by serious peer-reviewed journals. Seven more were still going through various stages of the review process. Complete nonsense. One, one of the questions that one of these articles was asking is, do dogs suffer oppression based upon gender? And this was the stuff that was getting published in these top academic journals. Now, we might say, yeah, well, that's you know, gender studies or liberal arts. Things are kind of weird. Well, here's something else that kind of in the scientific fields there is what's to be called a reproducible crisis. That is, when an an experiment is done, other people should be able to replicate it because that shows that the experiment's legit. Right now, in the most recent few years, two-thirds of experiments that are being purported, you know, recent studies show two-thirds have not been able to be reproduced. Which means two-thirds of the stuff that we are saying, studies show, is not probably true. Now, my point is not to say that, that scholarship is worthless, that, that experts don't have us, anything to teach us, but, but just to say beyond the experts say we have ordinary people who desperately want to get something published, who want a promotion, who want a job, and, and things are said that aren't necessarily always trustworthy because it's just people. Or, or think about uh, 745 7th Avenue, in New York City. This is a 37-story building in downtown Manhattan, a million square feet of real estate valued over 250 million dollars of, of steel and glass. And on the main floor on this busy street in Manhattan, you have 150, Was it, like it's like thousands of square feet, 150,000 square foot set of screens with ads and information. This is a building that projects power and energy and strength in Manhattan. And until 2008, the two words that were the strongest and biggest on that building were Lehman Brothers. And of course, Lehman Brothers is nothing as the economy collapsed because underneath this great edifice of the economy are our people who do stupid things, Right? Or I probably don't even need to kind of think through Instagram because we know that there is a fakeness about the carefully curated Instagram feeds. I was reading an article where a person acknowledged, you know, when she went on a vacation, she only showed the great pictures of, you know, like her outside in the pool. She obviously didn't show the picture of her being in the bathroom for an entire day when she was in Mexico. And, and she might have had a picture of her nicely tanned, but there were not all of the insect bites visible that she got. There was just this beautiful life, and all of the other stuff is omitted. And, and likewise, these, these influencers who reject this perfect life, we know they are people who also get grumpy in the morning, get gas when they eat the wrong stuff, have have arguments and don't get along with their in-laws, feel lonely, feel at times depressed. Oftentimes, these, these lives that project beauty, if we see them clearly, we realize, I don't want that life. Now, maybe it seems like I'm saying something that's obvious at this point. We know that there is, there is something beyond the images, but the problem is, even if we know this here, there is something very powerful very difficult about seeing beyond because skyscrapers and, and, and all of the imagery and experts say have an effect on us, and it is hard sometimes to look deep beyond and actually see what is true. But God says you need to. Because as long as these things are big, God will be small, and that will keep us from living wisely. Uh, this is what Israel's problem was. You might remember, if you, if you know the story, that that in chapter 7 through 12, which is kind of like the part one that led to where we're at right now, we have King Ahaz, and King Ahaz is this king who, who is being told, don't worry about the other nations, trust me, and he instead trusts Assyria and because he trusts Assyria, they get destroyed. Assyria itself comes back and wipes out Judah almost until there's only one city left. The point being, God was small, the nations were big, and so Israel was foolish. And that's so often how it is for us when when these things that, that kind of turn our heads are big and God is small, we are foolish. When when people seek to live lives based on just the certainty of what scientists demonstrate, of what experts say, they inevitably will live shallow lives because all the things that are most important to us are not empirically verifiable and are not, wisdom is not found through a science lab. When when we seek the life that we see on social media, we, we get the the beautiful marble tiling and granite countertops and the most recent iPhone and we spend money on the glorious vacations, we ultimately find ourselves being dissatisfied. And as much as we pursue a kind of security that comes through, through financial savings, the reality is, and we know this, is the things that matter most to us, we cannot hold on to using our financial strength. And, and to, to go there and to think this is where we can find our things rather than God is foolishness. I mean, if we're wanting joy, where do we find it but only in Christ? If we're, if we're wanting security, if we're wanting wisdom, where do we find it but only in Christ? The point is that if we want to live wisely, we must see Beyond the curtain, beyond the facade, to see things as they really are and to see God as He really is, because that is the only way to wisdom. And that's, that's the first point, the first reason that we have this oracles, these, this set of oracles against the nations. But there, there's a second piece to this that is equally important. That also is why not only God's people then, but we now need to hear these verses. So going back to The Wizard of Oz, there's, um, I feel like there's kind of a mood change when that curtain is pulled back. I don't know if you remember the scene, but it's this kind of like gentle bumbling guy, and he says, yes, I'm nothing but a humbug. And and like, on on one hand, it's kind of irritating, because this guy obviously like brought these people through this horrendous kind of situation. But you kind of feel bad for the guy, don't you? You realize this guy is clearly someone who's in over his head. And and there's something about moving from him being this terrifying, loud voice and fire to this small, normal person that suddenly opens things up to allow us to feel compassion. And what's interesting is you see that very same movement in, in the oracles against the nations. I mean, there is no way God's people would have thought of the nations as anything but things to be reckoned with, things to be feared, things to be negotiated with and protected against until we see in these verses, once again, that these nations are not just these massive forces. Before God, they are ordinary, struggling people who suddenly are people who are objects of compassion. So, we already mentioned in verse 5, this, this cry, my heart cries out for Moab. So, suddenly these nations are seen differently. There are people that have, that have pain that are going to be refugees. And, and it actually even moves beyond that. If you continue on to, to beginning with 16 verse 2, not only are they people who we can have compassion on, but we see... They are people who need Israel's help. So, verse 2, Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade. Now, this is addressing Jerusalem. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night. At the height of noon, shelter the outcasts. Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer. When the impressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land, then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Do you see what's being described here? Bringing us way back to the very beginning of the series, you remember how we said that really the tension that the introduction brings to us is that on one hand, God's people are so far from what they need to be, and yet God has this vision for what they one day will become, that he will make them so beautiful that they will bring healing to the nations. He will lift them up, and the streams will flow upwards to this mountain, and and at the center of it is going to be this king who will be great, and here's, here's what we see. As Moab is a refugee, as they are fleeing, come, come to Zion, come to Jerusalem, come to this city now made beautiful, and there will be protection for you. And what's remarkable is again and again, we have that theme in the oracles against the nations. Again and again, as we see nations being brought low, being brought down, there's these moments where it takes a step back and says, and there will be a day where they come to Jerusalem and things will be made right. See, what God is, is doing here is he, is he is turning His people's understanding of the world around them upside down. They have seen themselves being in the position of weakness and the nations around them being in the positions of strength to be feared and hoped in. And God's saying it is exactly the opposite. They are weak. They are feeble. And, and you are in the position of strength, not because of anything that you, have, but, but, that you have done, but because of me. Because in me is what everyone in the world needs. Rather than saying, what can I get from them, or how can I can protect myself from them, what you should be saying is, how can we give them? How can we draw them near so they can experience the goodness of God? Israel, do you not see and I wonder, as I, as I reflect on this, how much we still see ourselves in a defensive posture as in a place of weakness where the world all around us is strength rather than the opposite. It seems to me there is a lot of conversation about how we're supposed to resist the world. Right? We're supposed to resist the the influences of materialism, resist the, 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 the way of life that's projected in social media, resist the, the secular teachings that oftentimes are turning us away from the truth. And all of that is true. All of those things are things we need to resist, but it is not enough. God tells us to look beyond the curtain and to see people, people who are like us, who are confused and lonely and sometimes selfish and sometimes Petty, people who are broken, people who need Jesus. I wonder how often when we walk through the city, rather than just feeling the strength projected, do we recognize that so many of the people around us in that moment are literally killing themselves to try to make themselves secure? and will never get there because what they need is not more money in their bank account, but they need Christ. Or I wonder if when we are reading these different articles, we realize that there are people here again and again who are pursuing understanding, who want to understand how the world works, but they will never get there because wisdom is found in Jesus alone. Or do we realize that in some ways every... Projection of what is the good life in Instagram is a description of their longing for a harmony and a beauty that they cannot find in this world. Do you realize, I know I don't fully realize just how privileged you and I are. What we have been given is of infinite worth. You and I know God. And, and we have come to experience that the God of the universe loves us. We have been set free from fear and shame and sinfulness through what Christ has done for us. We have a hope that is secure and the world is crying out for it. And if, if we can just see on the other side of the curtain, we will see that. You know, I was um, surprised this week because there was a way that I did not expect to kind of reaffirm and, and, and kind of, to me, illustrate this to my own heart. Um, I was on Twitter, that's my kind of social media of choice, I'm not an Instagrammer, And uh, um, I saw this tweet from Kim Kardashian. Now, I should say, I don't follow Kim Kardashian. I honestly don't really understand the Kardashians. Like, I'm not exactly sure what this phenomenon is. But what what was surprising to me was it was being retweeted retweeted by someone else. And all it was was just this picture of this skyscraper in Times Square with one big ad that was purple. And on this purple rectangle, there were just three words, Jesus is king which didn't seem very Kardashian for me. So I, I figured there's, there's got to be more to this story. So, so I looked into um, kind of what's going on, realized that's actually the name of Kanye West's new album. And I came across, um, you, you know in the Late Late Show how there's carpool karaoke? If you're not familiar that, occasionally James Corden will go around with some artist. They'll drive in a car like in LA and the, you know, like the artist will just kind of like sing while they're in the car. So, there is this new karaoke for this week, except it was Airpool karaoke is what they called it, because it was actually James Corden with Kanye West and like a, a choir of like 100 people, and they're like, they're taking a flight to, to LA together. And, and my jaw drops as the entire time, Kanye West is speaking about what it means now that he has turned his life to Christ, and that he has been awakened, and he no longer is his own, but he belongs to Jesus. It's like... Sorry, this is network TV, this is Kanye West, and then like, in between different moments of this interview are these songs where they're singing like Jesus walk with me, they're praying, and you have this other time where they're saying hallelujah, he is wonderful. I'm like, what is going on? Now, now my point in this is not to say, hey, Kanye is someone who should be leading us. I mean, he, he's all these signs of being what we'd expect him to be, an immature believer who's still figuring things out. And neither am I trying to say that if Kanye believes this, then therefore the gospel must be true. The gospel clearly does need, not need Kanye West's endorsements. But what I am saying is there's something about this that should captivate our imagination and remind us that the Kim Kardashians and the Kanye Wests and the people who are flooding Times Square and our neighbors all around us that we sometimes try to keep up with, they are people who are hungry, and thirsty, and I need Christ. So I'm, I'm tearing up a little bit now, obviously. And I think part of it was just me kind of remembering this experience that I had when I was watching this really dumb clip. Like, I, like, but like when I was watching it, especially at certain moments, like one moment when they were saying "Hallelujah, He is wonderful," my eyes were just streaming. Like I didn't know what was going on. Like, like this was like for me this emotional moment. I was like, why? Why am I feeling so overcome? And I think. For me, it's because of what that imagery stood for. There is this airplane filled with people, filled with joy, singing the praises of Christ Jesus. And I'm not saying I know what what was in the hearts of those people. What I'm saying is that is the image that should captivate us because that is the hope of the world. The hope of the world is not going to be found in in more finances or more Instagram pictures or whatever. The hope of the world, what people are longing for, what will one day be, what will bring people joy alone is Christ Jesus. And the thing is, you and I have this opportunity to be part of seeing that happen. God is calling us not to see church as a place that protects us from the world so that we can be saved. Church is the place that God is sending us out so we can see the world's salvation so that people from all sorts of walks in life, people we would never have imagined would come to Christ, would experience the reality of Christ's love and be saved. Don't you long? Don't you long to see your neighbors and your friends experience the reality of hope that right now some of them don't have? I know I do. Even as I sometimes am so overwhelmed by what looks so impressive, God, I think, is pulling back the curtain for all of us and saying, look and see and have compassion and know they need Christ. I invite us together to take a moment in in prayer, whether it's confession, as I know personally, I fail sometimes to see this or live this out, or maybe even prayer praying longingly for people that we know who don't know Christ, Um, and I will lead us in prayer in a couple minutes' time. Would you please silently pray with me?